Welcome to the podcast, Three Things That Matter. My name is Anne Blake, and in each episode, I interview a different guest. They are asked to bring three things that matter to them. These might vary from books and plants to places and occasions. These three things provide the jumping off point for discussion of the extraordinary in the everyday. Three Things That Matter is a Limerick Post podcast and is released every second Wednesday. In episode one of the first series, I chat to Dan Mooney. Dan Mooney is a Limerick-based writer and rugby commentator. His debut novel, Me, Myself and Them, was published in 2016. And his second novel, The Great Unexpected, was released in Ireland and the US in 2018 and has garnered excellent reviews on both sides of the Atlantic. Dan is a die-hard Munster and young Munsters rugby fan, a commentator on Live 95 FM, and an air traffic controller too. Hope you enjoy the episode. You have chosen three things, and what I'm going to do is I'm just going to ask you to to start us off and just introduce the first thing you have chosen and why you've chosen. And I, I don't think I need to give you any more instruction than that, really. I'm I'm drinking out of it. Okay. So my first thing is. Uh, this, which is a crystal whiskey glass that used to belong to my grandmother. Oh. So she's had, it was like a fancy room in their house. I, I think this is an old fashioned thing that's no longer, um, but they had a living room with a TV in it where we would go and hang out. But there was another room that was the fancy room. Hmm. And no one was allowed in there except at Christmas time. At Christmas time, you were allowed to go into the fancy room and that was that was it. But they had a lot of crystal in um, in in the house and in the, in the fancy room. And this was among the, the collection. So there's six whiskey glasses that somehow or other found their way to uh, my parents after Nana died. Granda died in 1993. Nana died in 2001. Hmm. and uh, the crystal whiskey glasses found their way to my mum and dad's. And then about a year ago, mum said, I'm, uh, I'm doing some cleaning out in, in the house and uh, I'm going to get rid of the Nana and Granda's old crystal whiskey glasses unless you want them. And I, like, I mean, I nearly jumped <laughs> and took the hand off her to get my hands on it. And I, so I, I, I picked it for a couple of reasons. Um, first of all, I was very close to my Nana and Granda, um, hmm. to both of them. I get my name off because uh, my dad is Dan as well. Everyone assumes that I'm named after my dad, but I'm not. I'm named after both of my granddads um, oh. because that's the way the, the tradition goes. So I'm named Daniel Joseph because both of my grandfathers were Daniel and Joseph. Oh. So, um, so, and I was very, very close um, to Dan. Um, DP, they called him Daniel Patrick, Daniel Patrick Mooney. I was very, very close to him, but I was, However close I was to him, me and Nana were like that, right. like uh, like absolutely inseparable. This photograph downstairs, uh, I think it was a confirmation or something. And Nana has support in the photo. There's there's Nana and me and my brother Paul, yeah. and Paul despises the photo because every time he sees it, he's like. It's very clear, even looking at that photo, that you were the favourite. Like she's got a she's got an arm around you, she's leaning in to hug you, and and Paul is also present in the photo. And that's like that's Paul's role in this is to also be present in the photograph. Whereas Nana's got an arm around me and uh, my son of ghouls, she called me. So I was Nana's son of ghouls. I don't son of ghouls. No, no idea where it comes from. Never heard it before or since. Um, but that I was, and when she was. You know, she was very, very sick for, for a finish and um, she had pancreatic cancer. So, you know, the last couple of days, she was just morphined out of it um, for the pain. And uh, um, we take we take it in turns to sit by her bedside in case she woke up. So the house was always full of people, but you didn't want her room full of people because, you know, she, she needed space and the whole lot. So I think mom and dad were doing their turn of watching over her um and and being she she was in her she died in her house like there was no point in putting her into the hospital because you know everyone knew what was going to happen so she was rigged up to a a morphine drip and 
about uh, a, a day before she died, uh, she woke up. And this was uncommon. She hadn't been awake in a long time. But she woke up and she uh, said, where's my son of ghouls? Oh. Mom and dad. So they you know, shouted down the stairs, Dan, get up, get up, get up. So I went running up. But by the time I got up there, she'd gone back to sleep. She'd just fallen back asleep. And, uh, and she died the next day. And I think... Like it's not confirmed by any means, but I think her last words were, "Where's my son of ghouls?" Um, so I was very, very close to my nana. Uh, every Wednesday, from first year to fourth year, uh, when she died, I would run from Clements uh, up at the top of uh, Henry Street and run all the way out to Belfield Gardens to Nana's for lunch. And, and run back um, up to Clements for the second <laughs> half of the day. So that every Wednesday for four years, I was I I go to Nana's for um for lunch. Um, and if if as for someone I suppose who's not from Limerick, that's about a, a kilometer and a half or so. Like it, it's yeah, not, it's a, it, they're not next to each other. Yeah, yeah, it's a it's a fair. I was very fit. Like at the time, I'm no longer very fit now. But at the time, I was very fit, and I do it without like in one go, no breaks, just head down and, and start running um but every for four years um I, I every wednesday i went to nana's for lunch and it wasn't like a fancy lunch you'd make what waffles and beans and and we'd just sit at the kitchen table chatting um and then i'd take off and run all the way back home that's 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 the food the food of of, of joy really isn't yeah. it <laughs> waffles yeah. and beans it's like beans, beans piled on top of four waffles on a plate with piles and piles of beans on them um, and every now and again, yeah, like a Donegal catch. Oh yeah, and that and that would be on the plate with it, and that was great. But but sometimes it just waffles and beans, um, and I was entirely fine with that. Like, <laughs> so, so I, yeah, I I I remained. Yeah, there's a couple of other bits and pieces that I that I that I kept out of the house, and mum um, and dad have a lot of their stuff, uh, so I get to see stuff. Um, but the, the crystal whiskey glasses from the fancy room I couldn't resist so I have a little collection of six of them now I mean they're old like she had them she, she definitely got them before even the 90s like so the, the, you know, these have been knocking around for a while um, mm. and they're in, in great nick so that whenever like because I, I, I like whiskey um, that's the other reason I picked it um, <laughs> is that that, that crystal whiskey glass represents a lot about, about my nan and about my family but also uh, it says a lot about me because I do love my whiskey. Yeah. Um, so that it, it's, it's only for special occasions. Uh, my sister got me, um, as a, a, got us, me and Christine both as a gift a couple of years ago, one of those uh, drinks, globes. So oh yeah. Like globe and you can lift off the top of it and uh, you can put drinks inside. So yeah, my fancy uh, crystal, and his fancy crystal whiskey glasses sit inside there. I actually don't trust myself to take them out regularly because I am a very extraordinarily clumsy man. Okay. <laughs> so I, you know, I, I live in fear that I'll break one of these things. But yeah, I, I my my whiskey obsession is um is growing by the day. So in, inevitably they will be brought out more and more as I get deeper down the whiskey hole <laughs> and it's um it's funny though what you're saying there about uh, like the, the fancy room as well because that that is familiar um i'd actually i'd have known it as the good room mm. the good room yeah. that's that's i i had forgotten that but that is exactly what it was called it was the good room the good room and and yeah and like even though ireland uh in the 80s 90s say the specific times they yourself myself be growing up you know big families and um not a lot of room but somehow there was yeah. a room in the house <laughs> that no one could go into <laughs> I don't like the house is not to look at it from the outside like it, it's you know it, it's in Belfield Gardens this is not a mansion of a house it's yeah. in a nice spot and it's a nice house but it's not huge and you look at it from the outside and like You'd hardly guess that there's a living room, a kitchen, three bedrooms, a garage, and a good room. And <laughs> just just sitting there at the front of the house that you don't go into. The DP had a record player um, and like hundreds and hundreds of records. Hmm. 
So that uh, sometimes you'd arrive in to the house and um, the DP would be in the in the in the good room listening to his records and smoking his cigar. Um, and every now and again, if he was feeling very generous, he'd be allowed to go in and mm. sit down. So I like I used to love it sitting down inside the good room. Uh, the smell of the cigar smoke, like absolutely filling up the room and listening to um, like all the old crooners. This is where he loved his Rat Pack stuff. So it was all Bing Crosby and Dean Martin and Frank Sinatra and all that kind of stuff. And it was, uh, it was something kind of magical about it because it was so rare. Like you weren't allowed in the good room. So when you got the chance to go into the good room and just sit in a seat listening to music, it was a real treat. It's nothing, you know, it's just sitting in a chair listening to music, but because it was in the good room, it was cool and fancy now. Extra special. I, I, actually, out of curiosity, did did your nana drink whiskey? No, um, DP did. Nana would, would have like I, I, the odd glass of wine. Um, that was her thing, but she wasn't, she wasn't much of a, a drinker. Um, and it, like, it's a fun, DP did, like DP loved his powers. And so there's another, that was a kind of a funny thing. I used to sip Jemison. That was my sip and whiskey. Was Jemison. Mm. And uh, part of the um, BMWA, which is the, the book group, um, that operates out of Mother Max, Cyril Downs, and uh, I think he established it, and there's a bunch of guys in it, and basically once a month they pick a book, a movie, a whiskey, and an album. So that's why BMWA, and then once a month they meet and discuss the book, the movie, the whiskey, and the album. And it's a cool group, like really, really good idea, and a bunch of really cool guys. But one month they had suggested Powers, so I tried it. And I'll never go back. So my sipping whiskey is now Powers. I, I've kind of fallen in love with it. And uh, I was having a, a nip and my dad said to me, uh, well, what is it? And I said, Powers. He said, Jesus, you didn't, you're, you're turning out just like your grandfather because apparently Powers is all that DP ever drank. That was his go-to whiskey. I started laughing. I'm, I'm turning into my, turning into his father, not my own father. I'm turning into his father. <laughs> turning um, into, into your namesake. <laughs> Oh yeah, Powers whiskey was was DPs and and Granda Joe used to have a, they they were both pint men like they both had their pint men but every now and again they'd have their whiskey and for like for DP it was always Powers. I don't know what Joe drank but Joe would have a drop of whiskey every now and again. But it's funny that like the Nana didn't drink a whole lot and my own mother doesn't drink a whole lot. The odd glass of wine and the rest of the family are like hounds for the booze. <laughs> So like, where, where did I come from? In, you know, I, I, my mother and my grandmother both like not not big into their drinking. And yet here's Dan absolutely tearing through his powers whiskey on, <laughs> on a fairly regular basis. <laughs> well, obviously, you know, you're looking you're looking more to your granddad than 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 anyone. <laughs> well, that that was a, a very, a very beautiful um, thing dare I say to to start us off um and uh and are you drinking what are you drinking out of it out of curiosity not that there's no judgment here Dan yeah there, there should be you should be judging me I'm, I was drinking Lucas a tropical <laughs> so I brought the glass up and I had like a little drop left in this um this bottle of Tropical leucosate. <laughs> so I just poured it into the glass as I was going. No, I, I won't. I had um, I had a couple of drinks yesterday because it was my birthday. So oh. I had uh, some whiskey yesterday, and I don't think I could manage two days in a row. I'm not quite the young man that I was. So yeah. Oh okay. well, well, belated happy birthday. Um, and I well, obviously at the time of recording, it's it's the day after your birthday. But when this goes out. Sure, we'll keep people guessing. They can, <laughs> they can look you up and find out when you're. Anyway, belated happy birthday, Dan! And we must raise raise a glass. Well, you have one. I'll, <laughs> at some point, I'll raise one with you. Um, okay, I was just wondering if we could move on to your your second thing of choice. What's in the box? What's in the box? What's in the box? So, um, this is a cool thing because it ticks a number of of boxes in terms of what it represents to me. Okay. Um, it is, I played a lot of, of tabletop um, war games. 
Okay. Ever since I was a kid, I've been into that. Uh, that's that's my jam. So things like Warhammer Forty Thousand and uh, you know, Warhammer Fantasy. I've played D and D. I play a lot of board games as well. Mm-hmm. My uh, X Wing and that kind of stuff. Um, but my my game of choice at the moment is BattleTech. It's a it's an old game. It's been around a long time, but it's making a comeback. And uh, this is a battle mech known as the Phoenix. Okay. Um, what you can't really make out, it's going to be very difficult to do. Especially it's on audio. Painted, <laughs> it's been painted. Oh, yeah. Well, also, yeah, there's that too. It's been painted, and it's been painted by Pete Moles, who is uh, one of my best mates. And it's been painted in the Young Monsters Rugby Football Club colours. <laughs> And you can see he's got a little tiny young monster's crest on him. Amazing. You can't really make it out. He's got number 12 on his back. Pete has given. So he's a, basically I'm going to build a, a rugby team out of battle mechs. And they're all going to be painted in the young monster's colors. So that guy's going to be playing center. So, and there's a tiny little rugby player on the front of the, I don't know how Pete managed to get that guy on there, but you see the tiny little rugby player? Okay. So, oh, so it's like it, it just for for the sake of audio, the, the pictures of the show notes, but it's it's a, it's a figurine basically, um, mm. a character, um, and uh, j- just in case anyone's trying to picture it, um, yeah. <laughs> the, the concept of, of the behind the game, and I mean, there was like there was a, a cartoon when we were kids as well, like real Saturday morning type nineties cartoon called Battletech and it was it the lore and the history around the game is huge like they have books and books I think there's about 150 different uh fiction novels written in the Battletech universe it's like really really rich kind of a lore to it Mm -hmm. like the concept of the game is that that you've got these massive battle mechs that a warrior mech warrior sits into and drives around the battlefield shooting other battle mechs and they when you're playing the game it's it's kind of a complicated game to get the rules of once you get the hang of it it's fine but there's something tremendously satisfying about playing a tabletop game where giant robots shoot lasers at each other um and it's a lot of it is dice rolling um so you pick your mech and you 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 kit it out with different types of weapons and you give your mech warrior different skills who's driving the mech and and then you you make your decision. So it's very, very tactical, but there is a huge element of luck involved because you're rolling dice a lot. Um, so for me, I'm terrible. My dice are awful. I have a T-shirt um, that has a D20 on it, which is a 20-sided dice. Um, and on the, 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 the T-shirt has a D20 with the number one showing because the lads who I used to play uh, Dungeons & Dragons with bought me the T-shirt because rolling a one out of 20 was called rolling a Dan. Because I did it so often. I did it so often. They called it rolling a Dan. Um, <laughs> my dice dice are not my friend. So <laughs> when you're playing these tabletop games, you're trying to kind of minimize the luck element and maximize the the, the tactics and the, the decision-making that you can, but it doesn't always go that way. But I, I've been doing it since I was about 13 years old. Um, in in different types of games, but what this guy represents isn't just the tabletop game. It, he represents the gathering, which is, you know, has been a huge part of my life. Because Pete painted him, he represents my friends, and because he's in Young Monsters colors, he represents my absolute love of um, rugby and sport as well. Um, sport generally, but rugby specifically, because like the gathering. For those who don't know, the gathering is a, a a shop on Gerald Griffin Street that you know we affectionately refer to as the nerd shop, um, because what it does is it's it's a shop that sells specifically sells these tabletop games and card games and that kind of stuff, so the Yu Gi Oh and Pokemon and stuff like that inside there. But they also have in the back in the club room there's like massive tables that Gary has built himself that have different topography on them. So there's like hills and valleys and rivers. There's some cityscapes, there's some Martian landscapes. So you can play your tabletop games on this really cool black battlefield. It's it's brilliant. Um, 
and it's what it is inside the gathering inside that shop is a community and it's it's the same with young monsters i mean i like do i love them because i love rugby and tabletop games yes but i i think i love them much more because of the community element to them um and you know yourself like you, you see it with theater and with you know in the different aspects of creative life the, the communities that grow up around them are that's what makes you fall in love with the, the at the very beginning it's more about that community than it is about the the anything else really mm. um, than about the sport or the tabletop games or anything like that it's going into the gathering and and I said this to you before because like we did that narrative fourth before yeah um, I don't want to bang on and on about it because this is not a, a, a pity party or a poor me or anything like that but hey hey do you 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 know tell you tell your story Dan it's a it's a gorgeous story well it's 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 just that I like I was bullied quite badly in in school um and again I don't really want to make a, a big thing of it but yeah I had a hard time in school and uh a really hard time and I had great friends outside of school back at home and you know some st- friends I'm still friends with you know uh, Will Reedy and Don Leonard and you know the, the, my gang from home like um, so I had these great friends outside of school but in school in Clements I, I had very very few Brian Fitzgerald was the only real friend I had um, so one one friend um so yeah, it was it was a tough time, and having the gathering as a place to go. I think the first time I walked inside the shop and saw these little models, these little miniatures being painted, and and a bunch of guys standing around a table having a laugh, sometimes arguing with each other about rules and that kind of stuff, but mostly just having a laugh, rolling their dice, little orcs getting killed by space marines and then getting removed from the battle. Like, like it, it, it fed right into that imaginative part of me where, you know, if you buy into it and if you get stuck in, this battlefield is a real battlefield and these aren't just little miniatures moving around. This is this is war between these orcs and these space marines and it's, you can get really into it, like, which, which I did um, and, I, and I absolutely loved, but it was more those the people. It was like Gary Jackson is, is one of them. And it was more that than anything else. They, Gary's kind of leadership, and he's had this um, about him for, for, for generations of players. So like there's still kids, I'm, I'm 37 years old now, and there's still 13-year-olds going in there, as there has been every year since I was 13 and went in there. And he, without exception and without fail, Gary takes them under his wing. And and encourages and teaches them the rules of games, and he does it without being patronising. He's he's a really cool kind of authority figure that you couldn't, when you're thirteen or fourteen, you could look up to him. He's a role model, but he never patronises the kids. Um, and I've seen like kids, particularly like I've seen a couple of kids with with autism going into the shop and absolutely flourishing inside there. Because, first of all, it's a it's a safe space and it's a comfortable space, mm. and the the rules and the structure that come with the games can be quite helpful. Yeah, there was a kid who who used to um, come in and play, and his parents, but there was always a parent with him, and they'd stand near him as he was playing, and he would talk to the parent, and then the parent would have to relay the information to the other players because that's he just wasn't comfortable talking to other uh, other kids and that kind of stuff. I think it took about two years, but after about two years, the parents now drive into town, they drop him off at the shop and off they go. Wow. And he goes in and plays his tabletop games with everyone. He's part of that community uh, as, as much as anyone else is, and, and he's got an independence from it. And I think a lot of that comes down to the way that Gary runs that shop and the way that the the community is is constantly open to people all the time so there's no you know everyone welcome all the time you're here to play tabletop games that's what you're here for let's have to, let's just have a bit of fun and actually because gary is the way he is it's funny but like battletech is my game of choice but like i said to you there's like novels galore it's like 150 novels and there was a competition a couple of years ago by the way like there are, are international competitions for this game so a lot of the players will go to Germany 
to play, take place and uh, take part in the European Championships. And Gary, being very, very good at the game, several years ago, uh, he won uh, a European competition. And one of the prizes that he got, one of many prizes that he got was uh, he was allowed to write, um, they were going to write a character into a novel based on him. So he what? could, yeah, into one of the Battletech novels. Wow. So, so he, he the, the author of the novel rang him up and was like, okay, so tell me your name and tell me your plan and tell me your mm. battle mechs and all of that kind of stuff. And Gary being Gary, uh, instead told him this young man who, this autistic young man who has come so far, Gary told him that he wanted that name in the book instead. Wow. Um, and so the, the, the kid arrived in a couple of months later and he, he was looking at Gary and he said, you know, there's a Battletech character with, with my name. And Gary says, yeah, it's you. I told the author to put you in there. And I'm not kidding. The kid did like 10 laps of the block. Like he had, he had so much energy and he was so excited about it. He literally ran around the block about 10 <laughs> times because he had to run out all of this energy he was so excited about the concept. So like that, that's the kind of place that it is. And that's the kind of community that's inside there. And, you know, there's like, there's, there's other stories, there's other stories. Um, you know, we, we've been known after hours to, to when the shop is closed and all the kids have gone home and now it, it, it's all adults inside crack open a couple of beers and play our tabletop games with, with a, with a bottle of something. then. <laughs> you know it, it, it can also be that environment which is great because you know you want that too um, and you and you can bring your your whiskey glass yeah well i wouldn't and because i'm so clumsy i wouldn't bring that one <laughs> but yeah I've, I've brought my um my hip flask in there uh on occasion actually not too long ago um because of covid and the way covid is gary's plan is to there's a, there's a little area out the back which at the moment he's just been using as storage mm. So he, he he built a shed. Um, very very competent man, like the kind of man who who you could say he built a shed. Like you know he just went off and built a shed. Like there are not there are not a lot of men who you could say that about. Like that level of competence is beyond a lot of people. He just went off and built a shed. So um, Gary he built this shed out the back, and then we had a day where um, we all called around to the shop, and again like because of COVID mix indoors but we were out the back of the place and we just spent the entire evening moving all of the stuff from the storage area out the back into this shed with his his intention is to turn this into like an outdoor gaming area right so you'll be able to um play outdoors and that you know you'll be able to open up the shop to people so that they can go back to gaming because you couldn't you know indoors as it stands um yeah, we went through a fair amount of beer and a fair amount of whiskey while we were moving all of that stuff. Into that. <laughs> well, that, that was I, a that was a long day. It's a real it's a real mar- marriage of your uh, of your hobbies or of of, of things yeah, that matter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, uh, you're so, saying community. It's 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 everything. I mean, we all have our interests. We all have our our things. But primarily, it's about the people we get to do them with. It's, so yeah, important. I, I, you know, it was that first thing of of seeing the game being played, and the miniatures are cool. Like, I I mean that in the loosest possible sense because I realize this is real nerd stuff. But the miniatures look cool, and if you paint them right, you end up with a really cool looking collection of of little minis, and that's cool. Um, and that that'll that'll get you interested, mm. you know. Um, that'll hook you in. And the, the gameplay hooks you in, but you don't stay for that. Um, you stay for for the people and you stay for the the crack you can have with your friends. And, you know, there's stories coming out of it. I get lucky dice rolls every now and again. You know, you gotta, you're playing the game and your forces are surrounded and you're absolutely going to lose. But you roll a couple of lucky sixes or a couple of twenties here and there on a, on a, on a sided dice and suddenly those battle mechs heads exploding left, right and centre and your guys are, are winning. And that becomes the basis for these stories. Um, you know, Pete Moulds and John Carney is actually a good one. That, that's 
there was a contest being played. Um, so the, the gathering runs a convention every uh, every year in Thomond Park, or well, prior to COVID. Um, and people, by the way, like it's a, it's a whole entire culture, and people don't realise it. Like people fly in to to Ireland, fly in to to Shannon and Dublin, and travel to Limerick from all over Europe to take part in in the convention that, that Gary runs out of Thomond Park because there's there's European and regional championships to be won in a whole bunch of different tabletop games. BattleTech is just one. There's, you know, uh, X-Wing and card games like Yu-Gi-Oh! and Pokemon and Magic the Gathering. Like, some of those players, if you reach the top top level of, of Magic the Gathering, you like, you, you get massive, massive money. Really? Yeah, and, and, and you'll be paid. Limerick had a, a chap, um, Stewart was his name, and he was, they flew him to Hawaii. There was a world championship and he was the top guy in the country and a Limerick guy and he was flown all expenses to take part in the contest in, in Hawaii. And I think he won like 10 grand or something because the, like it's a big, big thing. And people don't realize it. Like a lot of this, sub, it's, a, it's a culture all of its own. It's a subculture really. Mm. But, but, you know, at the start when you're on the outside of it, you're looking in, you just, and I know what people think like, nerds look at all the nerds standing around the table being nerds but it you it's you know the more you get into it the more you see this is huge like it's really really big um the kickstarter for battletech actually they've they've, they wanted 50 grand catalyst games who who own battletech they wanted 50 grand to launch a new version of battletech and they started a gofundme for it i think the gofundme topped out at two and a half million Uh, at how much two and a half million they raised two and a half million. All these Battletech nerds like me who wanted to take part so badly uh, and wanted this game to come out so badly. So they they said they set their initial goal at fifty grand and made two and a half million. Well, I think there is a lesson in all this for anyone listening. You know, if you're wondering, <laughs> you know what you should, what you be spending your time at and what might actually bring in money. You know, not some lucky random half brain idea but maybe work on your tabletop game and you might actually move up the ladder <laughs> it's so, like the, the, the competitions tend to be taken quite seriously because of that because there Ooh. is like stuff at stake and um with biotech in particular you can get um blood names which means that you're if you win the competition you you become your own clan so you you enter into the lore of the game as as a clan that's part of the game so wow. gary gary has a blood name and uh there's a chap, Martin Sweeney, I think. Martin has a blood name as well, which is... But at the very start, and this is where the stories and the crack comes out of it, at the very start of one of the competitions, Pete Moles was playing John Carney and, uh, you know, two two really good friends of mine. Pete's just a better player. Like, tactically, he's sharper, he knows the rules, he knows how to... what mechs to pick and how what kind of fight to get into and where to get into it and that kind of stuff. And... Uh, yeah, he was toying with John, like absolutely toying with. They both had two battle mechs on the field, and he was like lining up for a fun afternoon of beating up John Carney. And uh, John got one shot off early in round one. Uh, big AC twenty, which is one of the weapons your mechs can get, rolled a twenty, head destroyed, because you you roll for a location of where the shot hits. He's destroyed the head. That's where the bat, where the mech warrior is. Down goes one of Pete's mechs. And now John has a two-on-one. And Pete was like, no, no, you can't. <laughs> like, absolutely losing his mind. But it becomes the story that it becomes a, a like one of these kind of things that people come back to over and over again. So you're playing and someone looks like he's getting a little bit overconfident. And, and, and you're like, yeah, re- remember what happened to Pete when Pete thought this was the one? Like... <laughs> It, all it takes is one dice roll. It becomes part of the of the community. These stories that you share from the victories and from your losses, um, and then I, I guess the same with Joe Monsters. Like that's the gathering and BattleTech, but it's the same. This just like in stories of matches won and matches lost and red cards and all of that. It's the community of in the club that that you stay for as much, uh, certainly as much as the rugby, if not more. Um, so I'm going to have my entire. Lance of 15 rugby playing battle mechs, which is a nice intersection of two of my uh, two of my favorite hobbies. And how far are you off having your full team? 
I've got one. Okay. Well, look, life goals, life goals. And you're only 37. So you have, you have time. What's like, that? that's the one that's painted. I don't, this here is my carry case. That's all full of Max. Okay. Uh, but they're not painted yet. So they're out of the box, but they're not like, it's, it's a tough thing. And I've got a very, very shaky hand. My hand never stops shaking. So, um, it's a tough, you, you want to get it right. Um, and I haven't been able to get into the gathering to buy anything because Gary's not open for sale. I've been in to move mm. boards around, but he's not open for sale um, at the moment. So I haven't been able to pick up the paints that I need and the brushes that I need. Well, if you do, if you do one a year and maybe do two one of the years for your 50th, you'll have your full, uh, your full. <laughs> I am. Um, I, I intend to be done. I would hope by the end of this year, but that's dependent on, on Gary reopening but I, I think I could put together a 15 um, conversation me and Pete keep having because different mechs are different sizes in the game so mm-hmm. and obviously rugby players come in different sizes as well so you were trying to assign mechs appropriate positions based on size and abilities and it's a stupid <laughs> but, but fun game to play I've been enjoying it I love it. It's great. Uh, and, and look, and, and an insight into, as you said, a subculture, a whole other world, you know, and it's fascinating because that's, that's right, something right under our nose. Yeah. Like, um, but I think most people have access to something quite specific and quite random that to your neighbor across the road which let's face it, Dan, we are yeah. neighbors, actually. <laughs> I have no experience of it. You know what I mean? Um, but there is this whole huge subculture that, um, that this yeah, is. So it, that's it's, cool. And it's on like with, with the gathering, like there's no shop like it um, really in, in, there might be one or two shops like it in Dublin, but other than that, there's no shop like it in the rest of the country. So it occupies this space both in Limerick and beyond as this kind of, you know, you don't know, and most people don't know the subculture is existing here. But but the the gathering is a has a legendary status. So just mm-hmm. people don't realize, like walking around Limerick, this little shop that they think a bunch of nerds are hovering around in actually has this cult, legendary status that that Gary has earned for it, and and its community has earned for it. So people don't realize like this is the a little a little legend. That, that this is and, and you're walking by it every day and you know you never give it a second thought but it is within a, a wider Irish and European community it's considered like a, a, an absolute hub uh, and, and a, a legend it's got legendary status back well Dan you know you just need to write that book uh, movie or TV series get the rights out and next thing you know like, it's funny, if you don't know Limerick, if you're listening to this and you don't know Limerick, let's face it, I, I hope in a way you don't, because I like the idea of podcasts being heard by people anywhere. Um, this street, Limerick, is it's quite a lonely street. There isn't a lot on it. Like, there aren't a lot of other uh, shops or, or, or mm. institutions uh, on it. It's quite far uptown, you know. Um so yeah, Dan, you write this this the book, movie, TV series, whatever, and you'll put it on the map, and it'll become this uh, this mecca, you know, hey. <laughs> for for nerds. <laughs> but, but also, you said mecca, and they're battle mechs. Hooray! Aye. <laughs> it works at all the levels. That, um, that, um, that segues us really nicely, by the way. You saying the word book because obviously, thing number three is yes, is a book. It is a book. Um, this is the awkward part, you see, because I don't don't like um, self promotion, mm-hmm. and I don't like um, coming across as someone who toots their own horn or is conceited or anything like that. But I, I like the Great Unexpected as a novel and as a book is probably the best thing I've ever done creatively. Um, and I do a lot of creative stuff. So it's, it's more like the book as much represents that part of me as it does like just the writing part of me. But I like, you know, I, I love theater. I love acting. I like writing novels as, but I also like writing films and I like writing little plays. Um, never got into poetry um, except haikus. Oh, 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 oh I remember <laughs> I love haikus. Um, 
there was a social media there was a time on social media where Dan was producing haikus so that's what I am referring to I totally forgot about that (laughs) (laughs) I I once wrote um, an epic uh, about Limerick City Uh, it's massive it's pages and pages but it's all haikus every verse is a haiku Um, and it's all about the giants battling for for the for the good name of Limerick, and how Limerick's reputation was basically the the what 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 Limerick represented to people was um, was embodied in one in this one giant that 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 ruled the city, and he was violent and he was angry and people were afraid of him and so he embodied all of that that nasty stuff that people say about Limerick all the time. And then another giant arrives and she's, she's arriving to, to, to save their city. And so I like, she's, she's basically the giant granny, except I made her like a warrior. But the idea was that I, that really felt like a turning point for me. Um, That, that, that city of culture 2014 really felt like a, a turning point for the city. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So I wrote. I think it's like fifty-six haikus long, but it's a big, massive <laughs> epic about Limerick, all written as haikus. Like, what am I going to do with that? <laughs> Is it to be found anywhere? Like, do you have it anywhere? I think I have. Um, I got a. It, it sounds like it needs an airing. I got a, definitely got a folder here on my um, desktop called Scribbles, and it contains. A lot of stuff. Some of it is absolute crap, um, which is, you know, just like because this is the the way I write. Is like there's so much ideas that you get and they pop into your head and you start working on them before you realize that's terrible. Um, but it's all part of part of the the process, really. Yeah. Isn't it? You have to just just write. Um, I'm just looking through it here. Do I do I have it? Uh, I it's probably in there somewhere there's just so much um well I think after this uh once this podcast goes out um and if we get word around to enough people there will be a demand (laughs) for the 56 haikus of Limerick (laughs) the more I think about it what what was what was going on in my head that I that I thought this was but yeah, I, I it's got to be around here somewhere. But the the um the, the great unexpected the book that is your your third thing, which is written by you. Um, what what year did you release that? That was published in Ireland in uh, two thousand and eighteen, and in the US in two thousand and nineteen, and then a lot of the translated versions all came out around twenty twenty. So. The German version and the Chinese version um, were both in 2020. Um, the Spanish version and the Catalan version were 2019, though, because I went on a little tour of Spain. It was cool. Back when we were allowed to go places, um, went to Barcelona um, for the Catalan version and then took that high speed, that cool high speed train to Madrid. And uh, so I stayed two nights in Barcelona, two nights in Madrid did interviews and a kind of a press tour for it. Um, la, well, I can't even remember what the, the title is. It's because it's so different from um, from The Great Unexpected. Le Insulat Final del Señor Monroe, um, <laughs> which is, you know, I think it's the unexpected end of Joel Monroe or, or Mr. Monroe is what it's <laughs> called in, in, in Spanish. Um the title of it was was a really contentious thing, actually, because I thought I was being super clever, like real smart, like uh, nearly dislocated an arm, patting myself on the back um, when I when I originally came up with the title for it, which was a rock and a high place. Um, and the idea is that it's, it, you know, it's Sisyphean. Um, is that how you say that? I've only ever seen it read in. Like Sisyphus. Yeah, Sisyphean or Sisyphean. I don't know what way you would pronounce that. This is the guy that pushes the rock up yes. the hill. Yeah. Okay. Um, but 
he, he pushed that rock up the hill and he'd get it up to the top and it would roll down the far side. And then Albert Camus came along and wrote an essay about it. And in Camus' opinion, um, and I, I tend to trust Albert, very smart man, um, in his opinion, their, their enlightenment isn't um, realizing that, you, that you're pushing the rock up the hill. Enlightenment is, is enjoying pushing a rock up a hill. So, you know, you have to, I think the end of the essay is one must imagine that Sisyphus is happy. So a lot of people realize like at some point in their lives, like, oh, utterly pointless existence, uh, existential crisis, nothing matters, everything is awful. And that they, they, people regard as some kind of enlightened thought that, you know, you've realized that ultimately there's no point to a lot of things. And Camus was going, no, 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 you need to go one step further. And the, the step further is that is instead of you have to push a rock up a hill, you get to push a rock up a hill. Like, good on you. You get to push a rock up a hill every day. That's cool. Um, so that this is the, the the concept. So I my two main characters in it, Joel and and Frank, are the the two sides of that. Um, where Joel, the main character, Joel Monroe, Mr. Monroe himself is the unenlightened man. He, he has realized that his existence is utterly pointless in this nursing home. And he, he wants to kill himself because he has discovered that, that life has no meaning and he's going to die at some point like everyone else does. And like, why not just get it done now kind of thing. And Frank is the enlightened man who in the same circumstances as Joel is perfectly happy Um because his his outlook on life, even though he's been through some awful times and had terrible things happen to him, and his family disowned him because he was gay, and he's now a destitute uh, former soap opera actor. Like he's no money, he's skinned, he's living in this nursing home. Terrible things have happened to him, and yet he has this tremendously positive outlook on life, and it's because he is that enlightened man. So all of that being the case, and my obsession with Sisyphus. It's set in a nursing home that's called Hilltop. And it's obviously on a hill. And um, and they discover a rock down in the at the at the bottom of the hill that, that becomes their 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 secret place. And so I thought, like, I am so smart and so clever to have come up with this title, A Rock and a High Place. Like because a rock in a hard place. And I look at how smart I am with my little nod to Albert Camus and the myth of Sisyphus. And the publisher's like, no, it's crap. <laughs> I was like, wait, what? No, no, we hate it. It's terrible. So wh- what do you want to call it? We don't know, but not that. I was like, oh no. So uh, they, they nixed that. I wasn't allowed to call it a rock in a high place. And uh, discussions were had between the publishers in the US and the publishers in London and, they finally came back with a, a, a panel of potential names and the great unexpected was the best, I liked the best out of the panel that they'd given. So that is what it came. And and how, like, how do you feel about it now? Do you feel, do you feel like that would have been a better name or do you feel like, oh no, they were right? <laughs> um, what do I know? Like, I still think A Rock and High Place is a better title, but what do I know? I don't know anything, right? I just wrote the thing and they're the smart people in publishing and they have lots of money and marketing people and they know what's what. So even though I still prefer A Rock and a High Place, I'm also aware that I'm an idiot. So just because the idiot likes the other title doesn't necessarily mean it's a better title. Um, but yeah, I, I still prefer a, a, a Rock and a High Place. But I mean, I don't hate the great unexpected. It's a, it's a, it's a good, um, it's a good name. I don't think that there's anything particularly unexpected in the novel. Mm-hmm. So a couple, several friends who've read it, um, have texted. I don't want to spoil anything for people who haven't read it, but no, because we hope we hope that people will read it after after hearing about this. <laughs> so several people have, uh, um, having read it. I've said to me afterwards, I, I knew it was going to happen. I could see it coming a mile away. I, I, I but, but I, I kept reading in the hope that it wouldn't. So I think, I, I think I thought I was being real clever and adding the little twist in the story and uh, everyone saw it coming a mile away. But I think that Joel and Frank are 
charming enough and the story is engaging enough that even if you do see it coming, it doesn't take anything from the overall story, I would hope, because I love them. I love them so much. Um, I miss them quite a bit. So writing the story was, uh, you know, you, I, I need hours at a time to write. I can't do it in an hour. I can't do it in half an hour. I know some people, like Grainne O'Brien, when she writes Grainne, is like, some days she, you know, gets a hundred words written and is like, great, it was, those were a good hundred words. And off she goes. I, for me, I need four or five hours at a time. And I, I need an hour just to get into the kind of groove of writing. Hmm. And then I need three or four hours when I'm in that zone to actually get some proper stuff done. And that meant that as I was writing this every day, I would spend four or five hours in the company of these two elderly men. And I, it felt like hanging out with them. Like it's a funny thing writing. Like you just kind of sitting there hallucinating while you type. Um, so, you know, I'm sitting there having these vivid hallucinations about these two elderly men uh, and, and their adventures and their discussions. And then when it was done and I, I, it was all finished I was like oh I miss them like I miss the the four or five hours I spent in their company um so I I have to hope I really have to hope that um that the story is engaging enough that even if it's a little predictable that people will still enjoy it because I I I've given a lot to it and I love it oh well that is a, a very a very lovely point to to end on so uh thank you so much dan um for those three very diverse and engaging and enlightening things i was so i was so worried like because i when you'd said about three things and i sat down to think about them i like i these are the three that i got but then i was so worried just before we started i was like is she gonna think that i like i i picked up the nearest three things is it like <laughs> We're about to do a podcast, Dan. All right, uh, give me a second. Let me just pick up some crap. <laughs> I, I didn't. There was thought went into these things. <laughs> well, you're you're such a good uh, off the cuff person. I guess we'll never know. But uh, you you sold you sold it to me absolutely, and no doubt sold it to anyone who's listening to this. So, Dan, thank you so much. It That's has been awesome. an absolute pleasure, and um, and belated happy birthday as well. Thank you very much. You've been listening to Three Things That Matter with me, Anne Blake, a Limerick Post podcast produced by Eric Fitzgerald. Theme tune is composed by myself and performed and recorded by my lovely brother, David Blake. You can follow Limerick Post on Twitter at Limerick Post. If you enjoyed the podcast, please let others know and rate it on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can follow me on Twitter at AnneBlake78 on Instagram at Anne Blake Play and the podcast on the hashtag three things TM.